So here we are, part four of our series, Philippians. When I was growing up, uh, I was a big fan of the WWF. Does anybody remember the WWF? Before it was WWE, it was a real man sport called WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. And you know what? I was 12 years old, and it was real. It was not fake. It is real, I tell you. I was 12 years old. I was, people say it's fake. I said, no way. On It is real. It is real. Okay, but I remember those stars. You had, you had Macho Man, Randy Savage. You had Hacksaw, Jim Duggan of his 2x4. You had Jake the Snake, Roberts. Andre the Giant, Brutus the Beefcake. Oh, the Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I get that right. It was amazing. One of the matches that I remember that was one of my favorite matches, it was, it was Hulk Hogan versus Macho Man Randy Savage. And I'll tell you what, it was an amazing match. It was real. There was no fakeness. It wasn't scripted. It was real. And anyway, anyway, um, Hulk Hogan was down on the mat. Macho Man, Rand, Macho Man Randy Savage, he climbs the turnbuckle, gets to the top of the turnbuckle, and he's going to do his signature finishing move, which is the flying elbow onto and to Hulk Hogan, I, I, you probably come to church for your first time, you're thinking, I'm, I'm, what's going on here? We're, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? And he lands on him, boom, finish. No one gets up. No one gets up from his finishing move. And you, 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 had, you had Jesse the Body Ventura. He's saying, nobody gets up from him. It is over. Hulk Hogan is gone. It is finished. And there's, the, and there's Macho Man jumps on Hulk Hogan. The referee goes down for the, onto the canvas, and he goes, one, two. And as he goes for number three, Hulk Hogan throws him off, and he wins the match. It was real. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's nothing more dangerous than someone making a comeback. You know, the devil thought he had the battle won when Jesus was crucified and was laid in the tomb. Day one, day two, day three. There's nothing more dangerous than someone making a comeback. Come on. You know, you, you may be in this room right now, and you feel like throwing in the towel. Because life as we all know, isn't easy. You may feel like throwing in the towel in on your marriage. You may, you may even feel like throwing the towel on your studies or career because things didn't turn out as you, as, as you thought it was going to be. Or maybe you feel like throwing in the towel on your ministry. Or for some of you, you maybe feel like throwing the towel in on God. But I'm here to tell you that God, God wants you to know something. It's time for you to change your perspective. If you're looking for a subtitle for this message, it is Perspective. Change your perspective. Because your perspective will either become your prison or your passport. Your perspective will either become your prison or your passport. Your perspective will, will, will either get you locked into how, how things are or, or will launch you into how it should be. The way you see things, your situation, if you, if, when you look, are you seeing yourself as trapped, I can't move? It's now become a prison. Or is it a passport where it's going to launch you to something new? And this is what this theme, this is amazing theme that goes on. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the church in Philippi. And he's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter from a prison. And, and the Apostle Paul, he plants this church in 50 AD. And now he finds himself in prison. He's writing back and he's encouraging this church. And, and this, this letter is overflowing with joy, which is crazy considering where he was writing this letter from. And he begins to write to them, and, and, and we get to Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. 
Either open up your devices, you get your iPhones, your iPads, or you can use your eyeballs and look at the screen behind me. You know what? My wife isn't here, so she's normally there going like this. I better be careful. She'll watch back on YouTube, eh? She's going to like... Okay. When the cat's away. Anyway, verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. And you know, in the book of Philippians, there's this, this another theme going through. It's, it's all about how we conduct ourselves. And because how you conduct yourself, you become a witness to those around you. And the Apostle Paul says this, look, in the way that you conduct yourself, become a witness to those around you. You may be thinking that your unchurched friends or your unchurched family members, they don't read the Bible, but they do. Because they read you. You are that Bible to them. What are they reading? What are you portraying? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And I love this because the Apostle Paul uses this ancient Greek word for crown, and this, type, and this, this word they use for crown is the type of crown that is given to an athlete who wins a race. It's a crown of achievement. It's not a crown given to a king. So for the Apostle Paul, what, his crown was the achievements of the Philippians. Their spiritual success was his crown of joy. It wasn't how successful the Apostle Paul was. Look at me, I'm an apostle of God. Look at how many churches I have planted. Look how many people have come know, know Jesus as his Lord and said, that wasn't his crown for joy. It was the spiritual growth of, of those who were following Jesus. And I love this because this should be ours. You know, um, if you're part of our leadership team, and when I, especially when I was a youth pastor, uh, this is the words I would say over and over again uh, to all our leaders is replace yourself. Be in the ministry of replacing yourself. Because, you know, this is what happens in the workplace. You, we can get leaders that they don't want, they're secretive leaders. They don't want to tell too much. They give as much, little information as possible because they don't want anybody to surpass them. Because if they get really good, they'll take my job. I'll lose my security. But, but Paul flips it the other way around. It's about replacing yourself. If you get really good at replacing yourself, guess what happens? You become irreplaceable. Because your, 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 your bosses are looking, this guy is so good at replacing himself. We've got to keep this guy on. We want more workers like this. And the Apostle Paul, he used this in the spiritual sense. That look, come on, it's, 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 let, let us cheer on those. You know, my, my, I want my sons, I want my children, I, I, want, I, want, I want people in our connect group, I want them to surpass what I have done. I want them to surpass what I know. I, I, I want to champion them on. I got invited to the Young Adults Connect Bible Study Group on Wednesday, and I was really, I thought, well, they see me as a young adult. I feel really kind of cool. <laughs> I'll take that age group of 35. Yeah, anyway, keep going. It's funny, my wife's not here, but I feel like I'm hearing her in my head. <laughs> and it goes on, verse 2. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Has anybody ever had a disagreement in church? No. Christians don't have disagreements. No. That is so untrue. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women... For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose name are written in the book of life. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that the Apostle Paul calls these two women, he calls them his co-workers, his colleagues. Where else in the first century are men calling women colleagues? Isn't the gospel so refreshing that in a male-dominated world that Jesus invites women 
to fully participate. And the second thing here is that he, that the apostle appeals to the community of believers to get alongside these women leaders, get alongside with them, and help them to, uh, to get to a place of reconciliation. Reconciliation is our ministry. We reconcile to God, how people reconcile to God, but we also reconcile with one another. It never stops. That's why it's so important for biculturalism in this country. It's about reconciliation with Maori and, and non-Maori. It's recon- this is our ministry, reconciliation. We're in the business of reconciliation. When, when you find yourself in disagreement with another, do all you can to reconcile with one another. Do all that you can. And this is the Apostle Paul. He brings the fourth, and then he goes on. In verse 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So Paul tells the Philippians in the midst of their conflict, in the midst of their disagreement, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice. Now when we think of this word rejoice, we, we can't, and today in our, in our time, we kind of think this word rejoice means this, this is, is just um, being happy on the inside, this, this thing that wells up on the inside of us. But this is not what rejoice means in their context. When the Apostle Paul uses this word to be rejoice, and I say again, rejoice, he's not meaning something that wells up on the inside of you, but in their context, in their day and age, rejoice means a public celebration. That's what he says. He says, rejoice, celebrate. Come on, we're doing a, next month, we're celebrating 60 years as an Elam church here in Hamilton. We're making a public declaration, a celebration that we're celebrating. You know, when we came out of COVID last year, I was like, we need to celebrate something. Then I found out that, uh, that uh, I was just like, wait, th- this church was established in 1961. Next year, 60 years, we are celebrating. Let us rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. But rejoice in this time. And this is what we do on a Sunday, right? We rejoice. So the next time you go to work, the next time on Monday when someone asks you, hey, so uh, what did you do in the weekend? Instead of saying, oh, nothing much. Say, I went to church and it was amazing. How many, I'm one of these people, I remember the days, I'll go to church, I loved it, I'll go to work on Monday, what did you get up to in the weekend? Ah, oh, footy, been fishing, I didn't even mention I went to church, that's a big part of my weekend, in fact, that was the number one part of my weekend, and I didn't even mention it, Possible says rejoice, celebrate, there's a public declaration, a public celebration, in the midst of your conflict, celebrate, celebrate in the Lord, come on, next time you have a disagreement, have a party, here we go. <laughs> that changes your perspective. <laughs> but isn't it so cool? If you reconcile with your brother, come on, let us celebrate. Come on, party in my place. Here you go. Verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. This, is, this, is, this isn't a suggestion. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. See, we all struggle with anxiety from time to time. We all struggle with insecurities from time to time. I coach junior rugby, or junior rugby, under-15s rugby for Fraser High School. And I'll tell you what, every, every Saturday as I'm standing on the side, I've got these insecurities because I've got all the parents watching. And, when the, and I kind of feel their reflection is me. Goes, Doesn't this coach teach them anything? But, you know, we have all these kind of like anxieties going on. But he says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. See, here's the problem. When we find ourselves fixated on a problem, 
Guess what happens when we fixate on a problem? We start to head down into a place of darkness. And when you continue to fixate, we can't get up. We find ourselves trapped. Whenever you walk along a rope bridge, or if you're climbing up a mountain, what, what do you hear all the time? It's this, these words, don't look down. Why? Because we tend to head in the direction that we're looking at. We tend to head in the direction that we're focused on. When I'm jogging, I should say, when I used to jog, <laughs> I'll be jogging and I'll be like focusing on the corner. Come on, don't stop. Wait till you get to the corner. And I get to the corner and I look for, I keep changing, refocusing, rechanging, refocus, keep going, keep going, keep going. And so now I'm looking at my calendar and so I'm focused on, you jog on that day. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Change your focus. You know, the, you know if you're fixated about something, it's almost impossible to change what you're looking at. Like, for instance, if I say to you, pink fluffy bunnies, pink fluffy bu bunnies, okay? Immediately, in fact, if I say, stop thinking about pink fluffy bunnies, what do you start thinking about? Pink fluffy bunnies. I just don't say, so stop thinking, stop, I want everyone to stop thinking right now. Stop thinking about pink fluffy bunnies, okay? Stop thinking, stop thinking about, and it's, it's almost impossible, okay? Because the only way we can, we, can, we can stop thinking about it is by, is by changing our focus, moving our focus off that area and moving it on something else, changing our perspective. We're not ignoring it. I'm not ignoring where I am, but I'm changing, I'm shifting my focus. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Paul, prayer switches our focus. It switches our focus and it invites God into the situation. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, that's why he says, run the race of endurance. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Run the race. Change your focus. If you're running, when you, don't be fixated on the issue. We're not ignoring it. If you find yourself in the middle of the storm, the only one who can lead you out is Jesus. Fix, don't fix your eyes on the storm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he knows the way out. The author perfecter change. We're not ignoring, I'm not ignoring him in the storm, but he knows the way out. I'm, if I continue to focus on the storm, I'm going to stay in the storm. We need to change up, invite God and, through prayer, invite God into your situation. And he, and he carries on. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand, or the peace of God which transcends all understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's an interesting perspective on peace. The Apostle Paul describes peace as a guardian, as a protector. You know what this means? It means that it's God's job to protect your heart through peace. Of course, you've got to play a part to play in this. But when we begin to invite God into, our, into a situation, all of a sudden, the situation that we're experiencing, the, the, the peace of God comes into our lives, and, 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 it's, and it surpasses our need to understand the situation. It surpasses our need to know how this thing's going to turn out, because all of a sudden, the peace of God's in my heart. You even meet some people, they're, 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 things are falling apart, but the joy of the Lord is still there. And you're, you're, you're scratching your head, how, what's so different about this person? There's something different about this guy, and people notice that about you. Everything's falling, but something's, what's holding them strong? We invite God into the situation. Change the, way that we, change the way that we think. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything you understand. His peace will guard your heart and the minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Now, the Apostle Paul begins to give us a lens. Here you go. Okay. 
Now that you're inviting God on this, this is the lens you need to look at your situation. This is the lens that we need to change our perspective. Instead of focusing on these things that cause you to worry, what does he say? He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Oh, you know what? Everyone's talking about me. Actually, what is true? Actually, uh, not everyone's talking about you. It could be just one person. Uh, everyone says that, we, that, you know, that you're no good. No, well, actually, the only one that's saying that is you. No one else is saying that. You need to tell yourself the truth. Oh, you know, I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad person. Actually, what does the Word of God say? God created you to do what? Good works. Fix your eyes on what is true. Replace the negativity with the truth of the Word of God. Fix your eyes on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then God, then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know that you're always being concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Then I love, then the apostle begins to switch. And he says, not that I was ever in need. Has anybody ever been in need before? For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Is anybody content with what you have? He goes, oh. Here's the thing. It's interesting with the thing being called content. Uh, I, I always say that, but every year when a new iPhone comes out, all of a sudden I want the new one. What's wrong with the old one? There's no difference. And you, and you, and you just kind of like... I've learned the reason to be content. I don't need a new iPhone. Then he goes on. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he gives us the secret source. Here's the secret source of how to live a life that is content. And you know what's really interesting? This next verse is one of the verses that, get that gets taken out of context by many believers all the time. And this is the verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And, and sometimes we look at this verse and we use, we use this verse like Jesus is some kind of genie, right? That, you know, oh, you know that, if, that he will give it everything I desire. When I say these words, I use it like it's some kind of incantation that Jesus, that, that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. You know, like I'm gonna, you know, I remember uh, Evander Holyfield, he had it on his, his trunks when he took on Mike Tyson. He had, oh, I can do everything. Oh, he's gonna help me win this fight. Or, or the, it's that famous student prayer, the Lord help me remember everything I've never studied for. <laughs> All right? Or use this prayer, Lord, Lord, uh, I can do everything. You can help me pass this test. I can do everything uh, uh, um, through Christ who strengthens me. So, oh, Lord, help me pass this test that I've never studied for. Okay, it's not, this is not what this verse means, and we're taking it out of context. Remember, remember where the Apostle Paul was. Where was he writing this letter from? From a prison. He was in a hole. You know, the Apostle Paul, his ministry would have lasted no more than 10 years. Yet the Apostle Paul did more in those 10 years than most people do in a lifetime. He experienced hardship that none of us would ever imagine. And now he's writing a letter to the church of Philippi in a hole. And you know, when you go to Romans and use prisons as a form of punishment, it's where you die. And yet he begins to write this letter of joy. And this was the reason. It was through Christ. I can do everything gives me strength to endure it. It is Christ. No matter, if my, no matter what my circumstances are right now, whether I have a lot or none, 
Whether I win or lose, it doesn't matter. Because it is Christ who gives me the strength to endure. This is what this verse means. That no matter what you go through, it's not so I can achieve something, it's so that you will endure. That you will keep on keeping on. And let me tell you something, the darkness can never put the light out that's inside of you. It will try, but it will never work. Because he that is in you, who started a good work in you, will see it to the end. Paul gives this perspective. Then he goes on, verse 14. Even so, you have done well to share with me my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other churches did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Paul's saying, look, I'm not saying this so you can give me more gifts. No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't want your gifts, but you blessed me anyway. But I want you to be rewarded. See, even in his situation, he wants them. He's thinking of them. He's thinking of, of, of what they have done. He wants them to be blessed. And he goes on verse 18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from the glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus who is your strength. It is Jesus who is your riches. It is He who supplies you. When you feel like you've lost it all, you are more rich than anyone else on this planet. You're more rich than the, the person that owns, owns a cattle on a thousand hill because the one who truly owns it is with you. He will supply your need. And it's, and it's not like a, it's going to surpass all that you need, but right where you are. You understand, Roman prisons didn't supply food or supplies to their prisoners. That's not their job. You're there to die. It was up to their friends and families to supply food. Now we know why Paul is so joy, overjoyed with the church of Philippi. Not only did they supply his needs right then in prison, but they did right so from the beginning. And so the apostle Paul says, look, you are my partners. Because of the way that you bless my ministry, you are my partners. Whenever, whatever town I go, every church I plant, it's not just credited to me, it's credited to you. Everyone who comes to know Jesus, their Lord and Savior, it's not just credited to me, it's credited to you. Because of the way that you gave, the gospel of Jesus was spread. And here's this thing, you know, this is what we're talking about. You know, we're, we're, we're ready to send some missionaries out to Budapest. Maybe God hasn't called you to, to go out there. Maybe God's called you to partner with them. We've got Naomi and Glenn. They're about to go. They're still looking for people to partner with them. Maybe God's calling you to partner with them. You know what? Their work that they're doing, you become their partner. You may be here in New Zealand, but because of what you've given, you're working a good work in Budapest amongst, amongst the Roma Gypsy people. One of the, 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 this is one of the most disadvantaged people in Eastern Europe. And you could be part of it. You could be part of that journey. Then he goes on. Now all glory to God our Father, forever and ever. Amen. It is God be the glory. All that I do. I'm in prison, but to God be the glory. No matter your situation, to be God, to God be the glory. When everyone else has left me, to God be the glory. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
you are not alone. You need to know this. You are never alone. Even when you feel like you're by yourself, He's with you. He's always with you. So what does it mean for us? It means that if life seems to be crumbling all around you, when you find yourself in a dark place, it means that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to live there anymore. Your perspective will either become your prison or your passport. Or either confine you to the way things are or launch you into the way things are meant to be. You know, when I became a Christian, all my troubles went away. That's right, it doesn't. Some people think, oh, if I... Maybe if I become a Christian, I'll have no more problems, no issues. That's not true at all. Every single one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just because you're, 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 you're in the presence of God doesn't mean, it will fix, doesn't mean it will always fix your problems. Remember the disciples? They found themselves in the middle of a storm. Who told them to go there? Jesus. You know, storms of life, sometimes they're there to clear some things out of your life. But just because you find yourself, you're in God's presence, doesn't mean that it will fix all your problems. But you know what it does mean? It means it will fix your perspective. It will give you a new way of seeing things. You're stuck in this place. There's no way forward. You're in a dark place. There's no way forward. But when you invite God into the situation, the peace of God begins to guard your heart. And it will give you a new way of seeing things, a new lens to look through. All of a sudden, God said, come over here. And you move away and you begin to see your situation in a new perspective. And where you couldn't see a way through, all of a sudden, you see a way through. He doesn't just take you out of the, out of the situation. He leads you through the situation. Because let me tell you, there's other people who are going through stuff right now. And God wants to use you to help them lead them through. Sometimes you feel like you're in the middle of a forest and there's nothing but thick jungle and you are just got a machete and it's hard work. You're slugging away. And as you get through, you find you've cut a path through. And as you turn around, there are people following you. He who began a good work on you will see it to the end. Your perspective will either become your prison or your passport. I want, I want to finish with this story. The reason why I say that, I want to give you hope. A few years ago, there was this young, young man in his 20s, his first time to church. And I was trying to start a touch team, the church touch team. And he was leaving the church, and I, and I said, hey, would you like to join our touch team? And, he, and he, to my surprise, he said, yes, he joined the touch team. Now I had two people on the touch team. Okay. <laughs> and he turned up to training, and, and there was three of us at training. He turned up to training every single week, and he turned up to every single game. I later learned that he used to be a rugby star. He had made, it was making the, the Waikato um, teams, it was getting offers left, right, and center, until he, a series of concussion meant he had to give up the sport he loved. But now he's playing touch. And now he, and all of a sudden, he, he's part, he joins a connect group, and, and he begins, Jesus begins to transform his life. Fast forward a, um, a couple of years, and it's beginning of, of, um, beginning of, the, of 2020. He's playing rep touch, representative touch. And in the beginning of the year, he, he blows out his knees, blows out his knees, and now he can't play touch anymore. In fact, he gets told he won't be able to play touch ever again. And he was even out of work for nine months. Anyway, after the COVID season, I accidentally become the coach of the Fraser High School under 14 team. When I say accidental, I meant I was not intending to be. And I became that by default. And I was freaking out. 
And I couldn't sleep, 2 o'clock in the morning. Then I remembered my mate who was laid up. I figured, he's not doing anything. I flick him a text at 2 o'clock in the morning to help me coach, and he helped me coach this team. Anyway, beginning of the year, I get invited to the Young Adults Connect Group, because I obviously think I'm young enough to join it. And he's sharing his story. And I thought, oh, this is great. Oh, I kind of know how he came to church. But I never actually heard his story. That blew my socks off, which was pretty amazing since I was wearing candles. And, and as I heard his story, he was telling his story, and he was saying that when he got told he could never play rugby, his dream was shattered. And he got in a dark place, and he was so fixated he couldn't escape. And he wanted to end his life, and he made a decision. This morning, I'm going to end my life. Then he gets a phone call from his brother. Say, hey, would you like to come to church? So he makes a decision. Okay, I'll go to church, but when I get home, I'm going to take my life. And he says, God, you've got to do something. If you're real, you've got to do something. Then he says, as he was leaving church, this bald head guy comes up to him and says, hey, would you like to play touch? I had no idea. He said it literally saved his life. Then he says a couple years later, God switched his perspective. Everything is going so well. God is so good. He blows out his knee. Now the sport that he's now focused on, he cannot play it anymore. And he said he gets to, he begins to go back into that downward spiral. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that, oh, you know, I'm all good. I don't have anxieties. I don't have depression. We have this thing, the stigma that, oh, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't have anxiety. That's rubbish. You know what I mean? It just means you're a normal person. It means that we need Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to remind ourselves. And he, he was so fixated, he got him into that dark place again. Then he says he gets a text at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, today, that young man now lives in the Bay of Plenty. He's coaching their first 15 rugby team. And at the end of the year, I have the privilege of officiating his wedding. Come on. It's all about perspective. Your perspective will either become your prison or your passport. You know, I, I messaged him yesterday. I said, can I share your story? He gave me permission. And he said, as long as someone is helped by this. You know what? He's the one that cut. He had no idea that he was cutting through, cutting a path for others to follow. You may be right in this room, but God is calling. You might be finding yourself in a place of depression and despair. But God is calling you. It's time for you to get up. Change your perspective. And as you do that, maybe God is calling you to help someone on their journey. That's one way of changing your perspective. It's helping someone. Because you know what purpose is? Your purpose always involves helping people. That is purpose. That is your purpose. Love God, love people. That's your purpose. Your perspective will either be your prison or your passport. Come on, let us pray.